Welcome to the Abundant Life Podcast. This is Pastor Derry. To become a Christian, a person must receive the revelation of the mystery that Christ in us is the hope of glory. This single revelation of the grace of God is that God blesses and chooses us through a predestined adoption to make us accepted in the beloved who is Christ. And this gives us redemption, salvation, and the Holy Spirit to make us complete. This revelation of the mystery helps us understand that a relationship with God is not obtained through works or through perfect behavior, but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Today, we embrace this mystery in message six of our series titled The Best Year Ever. Listen in, take notes, and I'll talk with you at the end of the message. So before we get too far, we're going to do two things really quickly. So we're going to start the word. But in the word, I want you to hear something. And I'm going to read you something from the book of, of, of uh, Mark, chapter 10. And I want to set this up because we're still talking about the best year ever. But I want you to listen to this. You don't have to turn there. You can jot it down and look at it later if you want. But in Mark, chapter 10, uh, the disciples hear a, a, a Jesus giving them uh, a parable. And uh, he then... Um, is, has his two disciples, James and John, who are brothers, referred to as the sons of Zebedee because their father Zebedee was a fisherman. So these two young men had left their father's business and had followed Jesus. And so in following Jesus, this is one day what they say after hearing Jesus talk about him rising from the dead and setting up his new kingdom. They said, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> I'm reading just what it says. Amen. Teacher, we're following you, so we'd like you to do for us what we're going to ask you to do. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't correct them. He didn't tell them they had a bad attitude for asking him to do whatever they ask. He just said, what do you want? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right and the other on your left hand in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. You are, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus, you want to know, can we drink from the cup you're going to drink? And can we be baptized in the baptism you're baptized in? Our answer is yes, we can. <laughs> so Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard the conversation, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called to them, called them all to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first 
shall be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love this passage. We were at the training, yes, uh, training yesterday, and um, the uh, instructor, the, 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 the leader of the training, made reference to something that was said here. And what he made reference to was the fact that Jesus did not rebuke the disciples for wanting to sit at his right hand or his left. He also did not rebuke the disciples for wanting to be great. And sometimes in church, we, we, we shy away from greatness or we don't talk about it because it doesn't seem humble to desire to be great. But if we define greatness properly, then there's a greatness that we are not only called to, but expected to attain. See, if we believe that greatness is the accumulation of stuff and greatness is the amassing of resources and we believe that greatness is being better than everybody else, then no, that's not the greatness that Jesus desires for us to have. But if we believe that greatness is taking everything that you have and pouring it out to others that they might be blessed, then that greatness through service is just what God desires. So if in the pouring out of yourself with the intention of being a blessing, God causes resources to come to you, so be it. But the big thing is not the actions on the outside, but the condition of the heart when we're doing things. Which is why he said to them, can you drink the drink that I'm going to drink? And can you be baptized the way I'm going to be baptized? And when they said yes, he said, you're right, you are. <laughs> Yes, you're right. You can compare yourself to me, Jesus. That's amazing. You can indeed compare yourself to Jesus because it is an expectation that you will drink the cup he drinks and that you will be baptized with the baptism he was baptized in. Beautiful. I love this because this is a calling for us to have your best year ever this year and then have the best year ever next year, and then have the best year ever the next year. Why? Because you're expected to be great. <laughs> you are expected to be great in whatever it is. And that doesn't mean you have to be like anybody else. You can be great in the uniqueness, the way God created you to be. I have a cousin, and he, he, he told me one day, um, we were having a conversation. He owns a... Um, a janitorial supply store. And so he has this janitorial supply store and he told me one day, he said, hey, you know I'm a millionaire, right? <laughs> I said, yes, cousin, I know that you, I know that you have a lot of money. He said, you know, I didn't go to college, right? I said, yes, cousin, I know, I know you didn't go to college and I know that you have a lot of money. I, I know you have a successful business, yes. He said, you know, it didn't take all, I said, yes, cousin, I know that it didn't require all those things. But what it did require is require the desire to be great, not with what you don't have, but with what you do have. See, in American culture, we sometimes sit around and worry about how we're going to get what we need to do something. How are we going to get something in order to get something else? 
When in the kingdom of God, you've been made complete in Christ. Which means that everything you is required for you to be great in whatever God has called you to be great in, you already possess. <laughs> but the problem is this. In American culture, we also have been ingrained to be individualistic. And we believe that we have to be great on our own. But Jesus said, you are the body of Christ. And so our greatness in the kingdom comes from recognizing that we are connected to others. Jesus is the head and we are the body. And all of us, without regard to where we came from or how we got here, we're connected. So when Pastor Tracy said it, he said, hey, he said, I'm connected to you. I need you. And the fact of the matter is, all of us in the body of Christ need each other because we were created to be one body together. And our ultimate greatness comes when we learn how to fit together and let what every joint supplies become a product that moves the whole body of Christ forward. And that the world is changed because we break the spirits of fear, we break the spirits of sin, we break the spirits of poverty because we have unified in the faith and bring the kingdom of God here to earth. A divided nation makes room for a united church. Amen. See, we have a divided nation right now. Our nation is arguing over everything. We have become so argumentative, we argue over every possible thing we can argue over. Yeah, we have the big political things. We're arguing about abortion. We're arguing about sexuality. We're arguing about who can get married to who. We're arguing about whether, whether the, the global warming is real or not real. We're arguing about whether the, the seals have the right to live. We're arguing over polar bears. We're arguing over, over the red-legged frog and, the, and the, uh, the garter snake. We're arguing over all kinds of stuff. And yes, I just read legislation about the red-legged frog just recently. It's an endangered species, y'all. Do y'all didn't know that? If you catch a red-legged frog, you better put him back in his habitat. Because he's endangered. He needs to be where he's supposed to be, right? But we're arguing over it. And we're arguing over all kinds of stuff. We're arguing whether you should be a Republican or whether you should be a Democrat or whether you should be a Libertarian because neither one of them know what they're talking about. We're arguing over whether we're black or whether we're white. And then if you're black, are you black enough? Are you too black? Raise your hand if you know I'm telling the truth. Okay, yeah. We're arguing over everything. We're arguing over culture, over race, over gender, over all kinds of stuff. This country is filled with arguments we, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it right there because I got some other arguments I'm not even going to address right now. <laughs> but these two disciples have been following Jesus. They've been seeing the miracles that are working. 
And they say, you know what, Jesus? We want to be with you and we want to sit on your right and we want to sit on your left. In other words, and we're ready to do whatever it takes. In other words, if you got to drink something bad, we're going to drink it with you. And if you got to go through something, we're going to go through it with you. And Jesus said, you're right. You indeed are. In other words, I don't question your heart at all. But my right hand and my left hand, you can't have because it's appointed for who it's appointed to. In other words, they didn't understand the question they were asking him. And sometimes we're asking God questions, not understanding the question that we're asking. And some of our desires are things we're laying before God. God, just, I want this. Lord, I want to be faithful to you and I want this. And God says, that's maybe not for you. Not that you're not have the right heart. Not that this isn't a good thing to ask, but the right hand or the left may not be the right thing for you. But the reason why it wasn't the right thing is what's most important. The reason it wasn't right for them to ask for the right hand or for the left is because they were still in the life when Christ has not died and become our universal savior. So they don't know that one day he's not just going to have a right hand or a left hand. He's going to have a whole body of Christ. And so wanting to be the right or the left, they just still think it individualistically. James on the left, John on the right, Jesus in the middle. Look at us. But instead, it's Jesus, the head, and his body, who he has given dominion over all things. So rather than have the right or the left hand, why don't you be a part of the body? Why can't we be a part of the body of Christ? If you want the best year to be, the best year to be, the best year, let's find our place in the body of Christ and let's be what God has called us to be because when we find our place in the body, then we go where he goes. We do what he does. We accomplish what he accomplishes. And then when the church across the street does something awesome, we're part of the body. We did something awesome with them. And when a church in the other side of the world had a breakthrough and a, and a, and a revival broke out, we're part of that revival because we're part of the body of Christ. And we're no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, but the reality of Christ in us being the hope of glory, not just of us, but of the whole world will start to take place because then your brothers will be praying for you. Why? Because they pray for themselves. They're praying for you. Last week, we talked about the revelation, unlocking the mystery of Christ in us. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to dive in here. Because of the depth of what I'm talking about and how it's been personally impacting me, I want you to be a witness that I'm setting my timer. <laughs> I have to set my timer, because otherwise... I will talk to you all day about this. So we said that as you're turning to 
the book of Ephesians. We told you before to have the best year ever, there are three decisions you have to make, right? Three decisions have to be made. The first decision is that you're going to serve the Lord with humility, that you understand that God's desire is that you serve and that you serve him. What is service? Service is an expression of love from you to others. It is when we dack someone. It's when we actually do something at the church. It's when we actually serve, when we set our own self behind and we actually press forward the benefit of others. So to serve the Lord. So whatever we do with word or deed, we do it as unto the Lord and not to people. And so I learned this lesson early when I was, uh, became a Christian. I was young in my early 20s, and I was reading a passage of Scripture in the book of Colossians, and it said, whatever you do in word or deed, do it as unto the Lord, giving thanks to him. And I realized, man, I don't work. I don't do my work as unto the Lord. I do my work with kind of an attitude here. I do my work with, like, I move the pace that everybody else moves. I don't move at the best I have. I don't give my best to my job. Because they're only paying me this much, and so I'm worth more than that, so I'm not going to give them all of me. I'm going to give them this $4.65 at the time. Um, the four sixty-five that they pay me is what they're going to get. I'm worth more than that, so that's all of me they can get. Somebody say amen, please. Amen. amen. But I read this passage, and it did something to my spirit. It touched my heart, and it said, don't work for the money. Work for me. Don't work for the money. Work for me. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'll work for you. And I started working as unto the Lord. And I started doing the job that I had as unto the Lord. And I was doing what my wife always tells me, I'm doing too much. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Y'all must be on her side. Amen. <laughs> They're on the Lord's side. Yes, indeed. Yes. But I'm doing, I'm, I'm working as unto the Lord. And I'm just, I'm just giving my best to the job without regard to the, ex, the, the return from the employer. And because I did that, what began to happen is I activated another passage I wasn't even familiar with that I learned later. And that is that a man's gift makes room for him. Yeah. And so all of a sudden there was space being made for me because my gifts that were worth more than what I was being paid were being manifested so people noticed the gift. And then when the gift was noticed, then there was a favor of God that came that opened more doors for me. And the more doors that opened, the more God empowered me with an anointing to do my work as unto him. And so what began happening is that anointing then started putting me in position where my other gifts were being pulled out of me because now I was in position of not yieldedness to my flesh, which says you're only, you're worth more than what they're paying. It opened the door for me to be yielded to the spirit of God, which opened up the gifts of the spirit to flow through me. So I would be minding my business, minding my own business, just doing things, and the Holy Spirit would speak to me and cause me to say stuff to people in the flow of what we were doing. And I wouldn't even be conscious that I would be speaking things to them that God was talking to them and not me. But it didn't come from the way that sometimes we believe. And sometimes we believe that the operation of spiritual gifts comes from 
us doing something so, so spiritual or getting to a spiritual place or getting revved up spiritually, then all of a sudden we're going to have a, a spiritual explosion. But it doesn't work that way. It works from daily yieldedness to God and being able to just say, Lord, I belong to you today. So to serve the Lord with humility is our first step, the decision that we make. If we decide to serve the Lord in humility, then all of a sudden now he puts us in new places. But those new places will be met with trials. Which is the second decision that we have to make. That we're going to stand in the face of trials. Trials come to everybody. Trials come to all of us. And trials take every possible conceivable form. They come any kind of way, but they all have the same imprint, and that is they come to stall your progress. If you're making progress, expect a trial. Now, I said expected, don't brace for it. You know, if you're, driving, if you're driving in your car and you see an accident coming, I don't know if any of you had that experience, but unfortunately I have. I've been riding down the street and I see the problem already arising out here. I see two people that aren't paying attention in their car about to run into each other and they're going to come my way. And I see the accident occurring and I see them both do this and both their cars coming toward me. And your instinct in that moment is to grab your steering wheel and tense up, which actually is what causes you to get hurt. Because when you tense up, your body's natural... What's the, what's the term? Your natural... Your fluidity. Yes, yes, yeah. Your body's natural fluidity. I'll go with that one. When you tense, you get hurt. When your body's loose, your body allows you to not be wounded or hurt as bad. And so to understand that in your own faith, expect trials, but don't live in a constant state of tension as you're waiting on a trial. Something's going to happen, I know. I know it's going to happen, I know. And, And that tension... Puts you in a position where when things happen, you're like, oh, I knew it. Oh I'm, oh, I'm hurt. We're hurt because we weren't living. We were waiting for the problem. So make your decision to stand against trials. When you make the decision, know you'll be prepared so you don't have to live in tension waiting for the trial. And number three is make a decision to hold back nothing that's helpful. In the same example I use about working to the level of the pay, I was holding back helpful things. There were things I could do to make the work better. There were things I could have do to make the office better. There were things I could have do, did to, to make it more efficient, but I was holding it back because of a block or an issue. And maybe that's not your issue. Maybe you have other things that make you hold back. And so don't hold back what is helpful. Examine situations and what can you sow into a situation and make it your decision to make it better by what you possess. And in that making of it better, you will unlock things that will cause you to flourish. So those are the three decisions we have to make. And then next after that, we looked at a couple of passages and we went past three decisions and we started talking about what actions do you have to take? 
And there are five actions that we had to take. I had four previously, so take these down because I had to make one adjustment when I meditated on this a little bit more. Number one, we looked at Habakkuk chapter two. And the first thing he said, he said, I'm going to sit on the rampart and wait and see what God is going to say to me. So the very first thing is you got to first make the decision. And then number two, you got to listen to God. Listen for what God is going to say to you. What is God going to say to you? Then number three is that once God speaks, then the next verse said that you then need to write the vision and make it plain. So once you have listened for God's voice, you need to write down what God says. Now, God doesn't have to give you a plan to change the universe. God's plan can be as simple as, I want you to pray every day. God's plan can be as simple as saying, I want you to go out of, out of your way to be a blessing to this person. Or, you're, you're, or God can say, I want you to every day, I want you to read the book of Acts, one chapter a day, every day. But just listening for what God will say to you, and when he speaks, write down what he says so that you don't forget it. Then number four is this. Once you've written it down, let's bring the, uh, the five items up. Once you write it down, then you need to run with it. Once you write it down, run with it. So he says, you're writing it down so that he who reads it can run. And sometimes you're the one who has to run. What does it mean to run with it? Activate it. Put it into action. What did God tell you? If God said pray every day, don't say tomorrow I will. Start praying. <laughs> pray today. Amen. God said, go love, go, go pray for your sibling who you have not talked to in the last three years. Amen. Amen. My siblings, my siblings don't live in town. And so I can go months without talking to my siblings and, and be just living my life. And I'm, I'm, I need to, wait, oh man, I need to slow down. I need to call brother Michael. Man, I got to call Keanu. I got to call Keith. I, got, man, I just got to get my mind wrapped that I need to make, I need to reach out. Because if you love people, you reach. Amen? But listen for what does God say? Write the vision. Run with it. When God tells you, just start running with it. And then you have to live by faith. Because sometimes he'll tell you to run and you won't see a road. And you might have to just live by faith and not by your sight. Amen? Amen. So that's our review. That's how we're getting to the best year ever. But now comes something that is striking us. Something that is touching us. And how many of you here that were here last week actually went home and read Ephesians chapter 1? Wonderful, 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 beautiful, beautiful. So, when you read Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to pose the question to you like this. What do you think about this? If that was the only passage of the Bible you ever read, what would be your impression of Christianity? If that was the only thing about Christianity you ever read, what would be your impression? Well, and this is what I had to meditate on this, and I had to think about it. I would say, man, okay, Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, that means Paul and, uh, and Jesus are key figures to Christianity. I want to remember that. That would be the first thing I think about. The next thing I would think about is that he said he's an apostle because of the will of God. That means God wants people to have apostolic ministry. Hmm, okay, all right, I can live with that. What's next? To the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Where is Ephesus, I would say? Hmm, Ephesus in Greece. Hmm, who are the saints? Who are these saints he's talking about? That would be the first thing I want to know. Who are the saints? Because this is written to the saints. Who are the saints? Well, I know y'all know that now. Amen. Right. Who are the saints? Who are these people? And then he says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus. Wow. And then the very next verse, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Jesus has a God and a Father. Huh. Who has blessed us? Who is us? Us must be Paul and those saints. Because he's writing to the saints. So it must, he must be talking to the two of them. Now, here's the interesting thing to think about in contrast to James and John who asked Jesus, can we sit on your right hand or your left? They wanted those positions to occupy those positions. But he's talking to a whole group of saints and making a connection with them. So blessed be. Now, why is that important? I want you to understand why that's important. I want you to understand that is important because God doesn't bless me as a pastor more than he blesses you as a Christian. God is no respecter of persons. God is a blesser of the saints. And maybe your religious paradigm may have you thinking of saints as a certain group of people who have elevated because of their behavior or because of something they have done. And that is one way of viewing saints. But the question would be, is that the biblical view of saints? Look at this. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Once again, in Christ are these spiritual blessings that he's given to all the saints. So my question would be, what are the spiritual blessings? He said all of them, so if I find out what one of them is, that means one of them applies to it. That means if grace is a spiritual blessing, then that means grace applies to all of us. It means every spiritual blessing anybody ever got from God applies to all of us because it's to all the saints. <clears throat> so that's, you know what that does? That says to me, I don't have to have envy in the church. I don't have to see somebody else be blessed and be envious of their blessing because the spiritual blessing is to all the saints. Tell your neighbor, say, I am not jealous of your blessings. As a matter of fact, I congratulate you on receiving your blessings from God. And please, when I receive mine, 
love me like I love you. Amen. All right. Come on. Envy in the church is foolishness. Because God has blessed us all with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So if I'm not blessed, I just need to get in Christ. <laughs> just as he chose me in him before the foundation of the world. No. Us. I was in a I was in a ministry leader meeting one time many years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't here, it was somewhere else previously. In ministry leading, uh, ministry leaders meeting. And so we're in there and we're having a dialogue about, about God working in people's lives and what have you. And so we talked about struggle. And so one of the leaders made a statement. If you guys have ever been with me in a meeting, I'm not one who just feels like I got to correct things as soon as I hear them. But I did this day. So the leader says, yeah, you know, because sometimes the spouse doesn't understand they're living with the called one. I said, hold on, man, hold on, hold on. For the benefit of you and me, we're going to shut this conversation down right now. <laughs> Ooh, I knew that would cause a little hana 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 in the room. This passage says that he chose us. And so everybody who's in Christ should have an understanding that you are chosen. You are chosen. You are chosen by God to live a life with him at the center. And so when we say chosen, sometimes we get a little confused about that. And I'll deal with that in just a second. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, before you were formed in your mother's womb, God had already selected and chosen you to live the life you live. Amen. And if you believe that your trials are bigger than you, then you will think that you were born into a bad situation. But if you understand that Christ in you makes you bigger than what's around you, you realize you were placed somewhere in order to manifest his glory. <laughs> Amen. It's whether or not you believe the environment is bigger than God. If the environment is bigger than God, then guess what? You are doomed, and I'm sorry to tell you that. But if God is bigger than your circumstances, then that means that he will manifest his glory and overcome the things around you because he's bigger. That the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed you with every spiritual blessing and chosen you. <laughs> what did he choose you for? That we should be holy, which means to be set apart, and blameless. Another passage in the book of Romans says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? <laughs> Without blame before him in love. 
grab your neighbor's hand as we did earlier and tell your neighbor, God loves you. Verse 5 says, having predestined. So you never read a Bible before. This is all you have to know about what Christianity is and what it means. And now you got this word predestined. You were already chosen before the foundation of the world. And now we have to deal with this word predestined. I want to help you understand predestined because sometimes we get, again, this is one of these things that we argue about in church. I want to help you think about predestiny. Sometimes we think about predestiny means that you don't have a choice. You were already predestined, so you don't have a choice how you live your life. That's not what predestined means here. Predestined means that there is a formula assigned, and that formula allows for certain things to happen and certain things not to happen. And that's what predestiny actually means. So I'm predestined to marry my wife. Let me tell you how. Because when I was a single person, I had in my mind certain things I like and certain things I don't like. And so the first screen to who I can marry is, do they fall in one of those categories? Like or don't like? Don't like moves, right? Like is here. So then I got the next screen. Because I can say, I like how Halle Berry looks. Or I like this person over there. But here's the next screening problem. You can only marry who you have access to. (laughs) So so next screen is already taken care of. I don't have access, so that's off the chart. You move all them away. Right? Amen. Yeah, pray, pray, pray for access. <laughs> I don't need to pray for access. I have a beautiful wife. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I'll, let me keep on. Let me stay on, on course. <laughs> My clock is ticking too. I got to stay on course. My timer's going. All right. So, number one, like or don't like. Number two, access. If you don't have access, you don't, it doesn't exist. Number three is, Not only do I like, they like, they got to like me. (laughs) So now I just took a whole nother group that said, that no way. (laughs) Amen. So the predestiny becomes that through the filter of those things and probably a whole bunch of other things, but through those filters, your destiny becomes apparent because your destiny narrows you down to boom. Jackpot, yeah. (laughs) Three stars, amen, amen, (laughs) amen. So understanding... That is how predestination works. That God has already made a formula before the foundation of the world that would allow you to be chosen and you to be predestined because he took all those who didn't like him 
He took all those who won't receive Christ, his access. And then he gives choice to the ones that remain. And so he chooses us and we choose him. And now we're in relationship with God. Having predestined us to adoption as sons. My relationship with Tammy gave me a wife and access to who she is. If you've never heard her tell jokes, you're missing it. Because she doesn't tell jokes. She just talks and you laugh. It's just that, it's just that simple. <laughs> she don't even be trying. She just be saying stuff. I'm like, are you kidding? That's hilarious. Anyway, so having predestined us, I have access to all of that now. I have to try to tell jokes. She just tells them. All right. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by, once again, here's Jesus again. Here again is Jesus again. And he says, you've been adopted as sons. In other words, your relationship with God is one that a father and a son have a relationship that the father's interested in bringing the son to maturity. Any father of a son, you sit down and talk to any man about his son. His ultimate goal for his son is to be a man. That's, that's, that's all. No matter what else, I'm trying to make him a man. <laughs> that's the whole effort. So the relationship with the father and son is to bring the son to full maturity. And you become sons. So God's goal for you is to bring you full maturity. Full maturity. And when you're fully mature in God, if you're like me, you'll look like your father. Amen. Predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. That's as far as I can go with this. According to the good pleasure of his will. And here's what I want you to be left with today. It's God's pleasure to bring you to fullness. It pleases God to see you grow in maturity. And sometimes we don't recognize how badly God wants us to be mature. My son got hired at this job and uh, he got a pretty decent salary when he got hired. And I was like, man, look at this dude. Look at this guy. I was proud of that guy. I say, you, you might start having to kick me back something for all this. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm proud of you. <laughs> but that, why is that pride there? Because that's what we set out to do. We set out to bring him to maturity. And when he's mature, I'm pleased. And God is pleased as you mature, as you serve him with humility, and as you endure through trials, and as you continue now realize that, man, I have things to pour out, and you start pouring out, God is so pleased when you are pouring out because you're enduring, you're being brought into the fullness of looking like him. And he's excited about that. God is pleased with you. 
as you mature, God is continually seeing you grow. And so here's what, we, what we're going to be doing. We're going to continue to go through this book, and I want you to continue to meditate on this. And I want you to blot out every other thing. And I want you to meditate on your relationship with God that's revealed in this, in this series of passages. Because I want you to not only have it up here, I want you to have it in here. I want you to have it in here. I want it to be so real. And I know those of you who read through this, pa- this passage this week, it started getting real and more and more real. And I want, you to, I want you to drive it down as deep as you can drive it. Because as you do, it's going to take you out of effort and into Jesus. What I want from this church, I want us to be, I want us to be effortless in what we do. I want us to just do things without, we don't have to crank up stuff. and we don't, we don't, No, we just, we just do it because it's become a part of who we are and it just flows out of us. I served my previous church for 27 years without stop. Without stop. Now, I'm not asking anybody to go without stop because on, on further review, I should have slowed down a few times. However, I n- it never bothered me. It never occurred to me to stop because <laughs> I was never working for man. I, I, I learned that on that job that day and it penetrated my whole life that I never did anything for people, I always did things unto the Lord. And I served people out of that. Amen. So what I want you to be able to do, I want you to be able to find what God's called you to do so that you can, my timer's going off as I close. As you find those things that God gives your hands to do in love, that you serve and you let God make you flourish. And as he makes you flourish, you're going to find out the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The peace of God will be your rest. And Jesus will shape you into his image in the process. Amen. Amen. Let's stand on our feet, folks. Hallelujah. (laughs) I got a text. Somebody said fluidity is the right word. So, yes. (laughs) <laughs> amen my folks is with me everybody's taking care of it amen fluidity is the correct word so thank y'all for uh making sure i got the right info today's a beautiful day folks it's a great day to be alive it's a great day to be in the house of god and so what we're going to do right now is we want to have an opportunity every service we want to make sure that we have space for us to pray for all of our brothers and sisters because we are one body together. As we read through the book of Acts, we're going to get more and more understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And I want you all to to really be able to receive that and grasp it as we're ministering it to you. And as we take this moment right now, we're going to pray for anybody who needs prayer. And we pray always for four basic things. And I'm going to close in prayer in just a minute. But we pray for four basic things. And I want everybody to always remember these. Number one, if somebody's here today and they've never made Jesus their Lord and their Savior, they've never taken that opportunity to connect with God and to receive salvation, it is critical that we understand what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to read something to you 
as we prepare this. To become a Christian, a person must receive the revelation of the mystery of Christ in us. The single revelation of the grace of God, that is God blesses and chooses us through a, predestination, a predestined adoption in order to make us accepted in the beloved who is Jesus. And he gives us redemption, salvation, and the Holy Spirit to make us complete. So that simple revelation of Christ is what starts everything in our lives. And so if you're here today, you've never come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have things in your life you're just trying to figure out, but, but ultimately Jesus is the answer. <clears throat> and if we just say those words... Thank you for listening to today's message, Embracing the Mystery, from our series titled The Best Year Ever. For more information about Abundant Life Worship Center, we want you to feel free to check out our website at AbundantLifeWorship.net. On the site, you're going to find more information about us, our church and events calendar, and other messages that may be of interest to you. And on our media page, you can catch our live streamed worship service, which is broadcast every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Once again, the site is AbundantLifeWorship.net. If you'd like to join us for any live service, click on the About Us tab and get service time and directions. You can also find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AbundantLifeWorship.net. God bless. We look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. And until then, please remember that Jesus came to give you life and that more abundantly.